global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, the Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all advancing U.K. citizens voting today in a referendum on the country's membership in the European Union. U.K. law preventing us from reporting on voting or discussion and analysis of referendum issues while polls are open, but we will be following all the action as the results come in on a day here of special coverage. Stocks higher, S&P 500 index heading toward the strongest gain in a month, up 20 points now, 2105 on the S&P 500 index, up by 1%. Dow Industrials up 1% to 117,953, gaining 173 points. NASDAQ up 57, 4891, a gain there of 1.2%. The 10-year down 14, 30 seconds with a yield of 1.73%. Gold down 590 the ounce to 12.63, a drop there of four-tenths of 1%. West Texas Intermediate Crude now 50.10 a barrel, higher today by 2%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Taking a look at BlackBerry, missing its sales estimates today after shrinking smartphone sales and an inventory write-down overshadowed a welcome boost in software revenue. Is BlackBerry winning the battle to raise its brand, raise its size, raise its profile, or just sort of standing in place and falling behind? John Butler is here, Senior Telecom Services and Equipment Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, a unique real-time research and uh, provider of context on industries and all the market and government factors that impact business, which you can find if you're a terminal customer with this function, BI Go. So, John Butler, you go and tell us about the uh, the report, the pluses, the minuses. market doesn't like it too much. Well, the market's a little has been a little mixed on BlackBerry. It's actually up right now as I look at it. But um, what they're doing right, Kathleen, is they're getting through a transition from being a hardware vendor to a software provider. And they're doing it under the stewardship of a CEO who's been there a couple of years, John Chen, who comes out of the software industry. And what BlackBerry really does quite well is they offer very good mobile uh, security software, and they have enterprise mobile management software. So when comp- companies need to manage all these mobile devices in the field, uh, and they need to control access and keep uh, that access secure. And that's one thing that BlackBerry does very well. And Chen has been very focused on growing that element of the business because it's very high margin. And as we all know, the handset franchise has really been suffering. And, you know, that's – I, I was thinking this the other day. I can't remember a single handset vendor that has recovered from this kind of disastrous fall. You know, Nokia didn't recover. Motorola didn't recover. Now we're looking at BlackBerry struggling but not recovering. So, you know, I, I think Chen looks at the business and sees that and says, you know, it's a hit-driven business. I've come out with one handset after another. And I'm not getting what I want, so he's looking to software. 
As you say, John, uh, the shares of BlackBerry, they're up about 4% today. They are down more than 24% year to date. John Chen saying today that if I shut down the hardware business, I lose the revenue, probably make the margin a lot better, but I'm going to lose the connection with those customers. He's referring to those enterprise and government clients, I guess, who want that secure hardware component as part of a complete solution. Is he really going to be able to juggle the hardware and the software to the point where one actually produces revenue that is going to make the company successful? Well, there are cross-selling opportunities. I have to give them credit where credit's due. They've tried to capitalize on that. And Bloomberg is a great example where, at least in the past, the company has given Blackberries to the sales force and um, – other people that are on the road. And so if you've already got that customer relationship, why not go into the decision makers and say, by the way, we offer really great enterprise software to help manage those people in the field or those devices in the field, keep your network nice and secure and help you uh, control access to the network and keep your data safe. And so Again, I think having the devices out there as sort of to lead into a sale or just the opposite, if you've got a software account and they're buying handsets for their people, why wouldn't you want them to be Blackberries? And so, again, you have access to those decision makers. So they're complementary businesses in that sense, and I think that's really what he's getting at there. Can they live without devices? Sure. I mean, I think they're doing well in software. We saw over 20% growth there uh, with this past quarter, and I expect that to keep up. So I um, think they're okay with that. Thank you very much for spending time with us. Uh, John Butler joins us. He's the senior telecoms analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. And, of course, uh, Bloomberg Intelligence provides unique real-time research on a variety of industries and all market and government factors that affect business. Our terminal customers can access this function by just typing B-I-Go on the Bloomberg. Now we turn our attention to Washington. Georgia Representative John Lewis, uh, the Democrat, declared a victory as he and other Democrats staged a revolt in the House of Representatives over gun policy reform, and they suspended their nearly 26-hour sit-in in the Capitol. Here to tell us more is Craig Gordon. He is managing editor for Bloomberg News in Washington, D.C. Craig, thank you very much for spending time with us. Did the 26-hour sit-in accomplish anything other than bringing this to everybody's attention. Well, that is what they were trying to accomplish, was bringing it to everyone's attention. Um, I actually do think it's made a bit of an uncomfortable situation for the House Speaker, Paul Ryan, who for the past two days has really stood stood his ground and said, you know, I'm not going to give them... So essentially they, they held a sit-in to try to get a vote on a gun control measure, measure that would keep guns out of the hands on people on the no-fly list. Uh, Paul Ryan has said he doesn't think there's support for that, uh, constitutional reasons he shouldn't do it. And so for two days, he sort of stood his ground. But meanwhile, on the other side of the Capitol, the Senate just did take some votes on some gun control measures from Susan Collins. Those did also fail. But Ryan right now is a little bit a little bit lonely out there. He's really the guy standing between uh, the U.S. House representatives and a vote on gun control at a moment when the polls show the public actually does think maybe it's time to do something to crack down on the availability of guns. You know, Craig, from the... The, the lofty position of down here, or I should say up here from Washington DC in New York, uh, and following this, this, uh, the gun control debate and the various votes, it, it was to me, it looked, 
it looked like there was co- there potentially common ground if both sides were, would agree that, you know, you don't want no-fly potential terrorists to have guns. You know, you can lengthen the amount of time. Get, don't let them buy guns at gun shows. All these things. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, as, as objectively as you can, why have the Republicans, for example, opposed what the Democrats are proposing? Because it seems this would have been ripe for compromise from the two of them. Uh, sure. I mean, look, there's sort of the, the easy answer would to just be say that the National Rifle Association, the NRA, has this, you know, iron grip on Republicans uh, through donations and through contributions and through their supporters and voters. I, I think that's un- I think that's unfair to all involved. Um, there's some truth to that. Obviously, it's a very powerful lobby and a lot of Republicans listen to the NRA. But look, these are folks who are I, I think I could fairly characterize the Republican position as saying they are nervous about sort of letting the camel's nose under the tent, where if you ban guns for this group of people, well, then next time, you know, maybe another group and another group and another group, and pretty soon, you know, it's a lot of people. I do think where the Democrats have a little bit of moral high ground right here is that this has actually become less a Second Amendment conversation and more a terrorism conversation. And we've written about this in some of our stories where it's one thing to say, you know, the Second Amendment says I have a right to keep and bear arms. But I think a lot of Americans, Republicans, Democrats, Independents would say, yeah, but I'm not sure I want Omar Mateen to the guy who uh, accused, you know, in the Orlando shooting to own a weapon. I do think that has shifted the conversation just a little bit in Washington. And I think we saw it in the Senate today. Uh, Susan Collins, a senator from Maine, had a, had a sort of a, a modified no-fly ban. She got about 52 votes on that. I'm not sure she would have gotten that pre-Orlando. And if you get 52, maybe you can you can build up from there. So I do think the Republicans – believe there is it is a constitutional right enshrined right there in the Second Amendment, and they're going to stand by it, I think it's getting to be a little bit of a harder political position for them to stick with. Craig, just quickly, I understand that the GOP leadership asked that the C-SPAN cameras that normally broadcast from the House be turned off, but yet many of the Democrats used the video streaming app Periscope, and they shared that footage of the sit-in, and it went viral. It really was a remarkable moment. And again, whatever your politics are on the issue of guns or whatnot, it really was something. It is true. The House of Representatives, the leadership controls the cameras for C-SPAN. They're sort of there at the permission of the House, and they, they shut them down. So these some of these clever members uh, fired up their phone apps and had Periscope and Facebook Live going and were able to get those signals back out to C-SPAN. There's a lot of us. Look, I'm a journalist, so I'm a First Amendment guy. I, the more information, the better. A lot of us are kind of cheering on C-SPAN uh, that they were able to get the signal out sort of around the objections of the House leader. So it was a really remarkable moment, and it also brought people into the chamber of the House where they're really, except for the C-SPAN camera, you're not really allowed to film in a kind of a remarkable way, this incredibly intimate sort of setting of these Senate, these uh, House members talking back and forth. So, again, whatever your politics are on guns, it was a pretty remarkable moment in American democracy, and it, it was quite something to be uh, to be covering. Craig, 10 seconds, the Bloomberg Business Week sit down with President Obama, the anti-business president who's been good for business. That's the headline. Just fi- quickly, what's the highlight? What's, what's Look, if you want to know what Barack Obama thinks about the U.S. economy and the responsibility of businesses and uh, the financial sector and Wall Street in it, read this interview. I think he lays it out in enormously granular detail. Again, whatever you think of his positions, agree or disagree, you will know what Barack Obama thinks. And what he thinks is basically these businesses need to do a little bit more to help uh, raise wages. That would sum it up. Craig Gordon, summing it up so well, managing editor, Bloomberg News, Washington, D.C. This is Taking Stock on Bloomberg Radio.